Dear listeners, welcome to another episode of the Green Finance Podcast. This is your host, Yulia Trutina, Managing Editor at Tearsheet. When it comes to investing in sustainable projects, there are still many unknowns. There's a lot of interest these days, especially considering the recent geopolitical turbulence surrounding the energy crisis. And now there's the whole ESG debate. No one can deny the surge in demand for ESG funds which theoretically are supposed to serve as a sort of proxy for sustainable investments, but in practice, that's still to be determined. Nevertheless, demand from investors is growing, but it's not consistent across the board, and connecting it to the supply side remains challenging. Project financiers usually take less technical risks on more mature technologies, and when it comes to sustainability, many of the technologies are new. This is why we need tools that enable project financiers to get comfortable with exploring and entering new markets. Increasing efficiencies in areas like solar and energy while freeing up funding capacity will allow investors to allocate more time towards exploring new areas like green hydrogen and carbon capture, for example. In any case, it will be interesting to see how the new Inflation Reduction Act will help on this front. And we're chatting about this today with Amanda Lee, co-founder and COO of Banyan Infrastructure. Banyan Infrastructure is an investment facilitator for sustainable infrastructure headquartered in San Francisco. It's a business on a mission to unlock capital for the financing of green infrastructure projects of all sizes in a profitable way. Amanda has over 10 years experience in engineering for sustainable development. She's passionate about opening financial doors for green infrastructure projects. We had a really fun conversation, so let's dive right in. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. It's always lovely to chat with you, and I'd like to start our conversation today by getting your thoughts on what the sustainable infrastructure financing ecosystem looks like right now. Investors are looking to come into the space, So what opportunities do they have at the moment? Yeah, for sure. So I think one, the the thought of sustainable infrastructure now is much a much broader category. I think, you know, if you look back 10 years ago, you'd think, okay, it's solar investing and, and wind, the major categories. Uh, but now it includes everything from those two, energy efficiency, the three more mature ones, to geothermal. Um, anaerobic digesters and everything within waste, a lot of transportation, so electric vehicles, uh, the chargers for that, uh, and, and basically everything along all of how we interact with food, uh, water, um, transport, getting ourselves around, getting electricity, all these basic commodities all need their systems revitalized and therefore reinvested in to meet this climate transition. So the range of it is really broad and, and the market is growing, not just from a, a energy perspective, but a, from a categories perspective. So overall, the market is growing. Um, also, in particular, there's a lot of places for growth in, in specific segments, right? So again, you have traditional infrastructure investors who have been there uh, from the past who have involved and invested in power uh, and in utilities uh, that have been used to investing in not only the, the solars and the winds of the world, but the uh, coals or the um, bridges and the large scale infrastructure assets that uh, have always exist. And those funds have been 
um, around for a while and very experienced. But what's really emerging is because there are all these new technologies, these more distributed systems as well, uh, there's a chance for new types of investors to come in. And so if you're looking at the, these growing new markets, we see funds popping up. Uh, it seems like every other quarter, there's brand new large funds that are trying to chase this space. Uh, and I think it's still very uh, underinvested in, right? We'll talk to some developers of these projects and they're like, hey, we still need more capital. Uh, that being said, you, you asked about tooling uh, and sometimes it feels like there is a hurdle to get into this space where you need to understand how to do more structured finance and project finance. And not only that, but across a larger breadth of technologies now and also smaller assets. And so as we think around making an investment and you and having a, a billion dollars, let's say, to allocate before that maybe went to a single billion dollar coal plant. And now you're trying to allocate to a thousand solar a million dollar solar facilities. And that's a lot more volume and, and with emerging the different types of investing and different types of tools like software need to be used to handle that sort of scale, uh, which brings us a little bit to Banyan, but I don't know if you want me to go there yet. I actually do because I imagine that it must be quite challenging to connect all these dots considering how broad the market is. So how difficult is it to serve the segment, given the high volume that's coming into the market right now? Yeah, I think you definitely need to, to have tooling, right? So as we think around fintech in general, right, how we've managed to create low cost of capital and high velocity, high liquidity in, in every other asset class, it feels like, is by investing in fintech, right? Uh, even 10, 10 years ago, I was helping with that when I was a consultant, well, I felt like in, in sort of the first web 1.0 transformations, right? When we uh, apply for facilities in real estate or if I try to get a, a loan or if you are a small business and you want to get certain types of financial products, there are all these tools now that help make it more streamlined, that help assess risk so that the financiers understand how to make the decisions quickly, even if it's across a large number of different types of small businesses or different types of retail investors or different types of um, hard assets like auto loans or whatnot. There were tools to help gather the information, assess risk, and then later on uh, assess those type of uh, manage those risks so you can have a, a uh, low risk and highly liquid portfolio. We didn't have that in project finance, again, probably because it was such large assets and a smaller market. Um, and now we see the, the distinct need for that. And so if you want to high, handle high volume, you want to handle uh, more modular types of investments where you need to be able to quickly exchange one type of risk and an understanding for another, uh, we think it's mission critical to be able to have software to help you out with that. And, and that was sort of the genesis of um, my company, Banyan, which was to be able to help with that full life cycle, right? With origination, servicing, securitization of project finance and all infrastructure assets. Wonderful. Tell us a little bit about the demand that you're seeing for from investors coming into the space. There's interest to try out new markets and new technologies, but this also comes with understanding the risks that come with it. Plus, there's a new Inflation Reduction Act that I'd like to touch upon and what impact do you think this will have on the market? Yeah, we see huge demand. In general, when you go and, and, and you know, 
go and talk to a bank or a fund in the space and we say, okay, what is the opportunity? How fast do you want to grow? The answer is let's grow very fast. Even before the, the Inflation Reduction Act, the, there was a, an eye on growth, right? Okay, we have a $100 million fund today. I want it to be $500 million in two years. Or I have a billion dollar fund. I want to double that, right? Uh, the, the head of my bank has stood on stage at Davos and committed themselves to climate. It means that we are going to grow this area and we see opportunity. Uh, so we saw growth there. With the IRA, that seems to be even more expedited, right? It feels like there's a, a, a land grab to be had and, and we can get into the details of, of where exactly, but it's uh, it's extremely exciting. Um, and so people are thinking growth. And when you are trying to pull on that growth lever, there's it means that you need more capacity, you need more ability to, to transact at speed without compromising uh, the performance of your portfolio. Which, um, and sometimes I think you, you sometimes talk to a traditional investor and their thought is, okay, I need more team members, right? Um, and so let me just hire a, a thousand analysts or, or infinitely more people to, to throw against this growing market. Uh, and that is one of very difficult proposition sometimes. Uh, there, there's actually a little bit of a talent shortage in the market in, in certain areas. Uh, it's expensive. Uh, and it's slow. And also many times if you're hiring people to do this really manual labor, right? Okay, we have a thousand small investments. Your job now, really highly paid, uh, very high capacity person is to copy and paste each of those Excel into a bigger Excel. A terrible use of your money and their time. And they're going to want to go find maybe a different job because that's what they, not what they are wanting to do with their career. And so, uh, if you think around capacity increase to, to grab this market, it should definitely have a digital component to it, right? It should be how can we leverage technology to move faster, uh, to do it without risk, to recycle capital, not how do we just throw bodies at that. And so that translates into when we come in, we can say, hey, let's we can make you more efficient. We can use this to build a more efficient marketplace. Uh, it, it resonates very high, right? Where like everyone sort of at deep down understands we can't do this just with Excel as we go from, you know, a one to five to ten trillion dollar market. It's true. There are implications here when it comes to technological development and truly digitizing the financial services industry as a whole. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the need for more cohesive, transparent, and efficient data and systems in order to clear away that cloud of doubt and just trust the numbers. But that's just one piece of the puzzle, right? Now, we also have government actions in the form of the Inflation Reduction Act, which will accelerate the interest in sustainable infrastructure. Consumers are also exercising pressure on this front, and it has started to trickle down throughout the financial sector. Considering all these moving pieces, how do you think about sustainable infrastructure as an industry going forward? Yeah, I'd say that despite the fact sometimes it feels like there's a lot of moving pieces, right? Of like, okay, how do you take advantage of this opportunity? Is there is there something there to be had? Where are there... Uh, you know, where where exactly should be, you know, uh, allocating dollars. Uh, I think our mental model and the mental model of all the funds we see that are succeeding in the space is to like, I think in some ways like charge forwards, right? And many times in financial services, obviously as, as you know, managers of capital, we need, they need to be risk adverse in some ways, right? Which is like one cannot take um, capital that needs to be invested responsibly and, and make really fast leaps and, and whatnot. But the opportunity is definitely there and the risk is lower if you can understand it. And so the, the goals are to how to really 
get the right people on board, get the right system so that you can really understand that and then move quickly uh, as opposed to sometimes it feels like there's, there's a lot of like uh, analysis paralysis as to say, right? Where we see some some investments and in funds say, hey, we're interested in the space, right? We're interested in ESG broadly, right? Let's get an ESG team and like look at everything under the sun and then maybe make an investment like here or there with an innovation team. And then maybe next year ramp them things up, right? And, and that's when we see that happening, right? It's like that is maybe uh, it is the most risk adverse, right? Like you're definitely not going to do anything wrong if you don't do anything. Um, but the, they're maybe going to miss the opportunity. So there, there is a chance for those who are taking more aggressive leaps forwards, uh, trusting experts, um, pairing with partners who understand how to do things. Uh, that's been really powerful for us as a, a technology provider at Banyan. We've looked really at how do you build a lot of insights into a tool so you can share it more, right? Um, but even without tooling sharing information, uh, in general, a lot of developers and other banks and financiers do want to partner uh, because there you can have many, many financial, um, many banks and funds in a single capital stack, right? We need multiple players and to take multiple portions of risk. And so I think if you if funds make broader ambitions and, and make a leap into infrastructure, it's very uh, there, there will be something there to catch. And so we're all like, let's move faster. Uh, the example I love to give is that uh, when I was previously an investor at a company called Generate Capital, uh, was investing in storage, energy storage, let's say eight years ago, um, which, you know, it looked like at that year it was going to take off and be a really um, exciting investment uh, class and really be as big as any of the other verticals. Uh, and at eight years later, and we talked to some banks and funds, uh, and they're still seeing energy storage as an emerging class. Right. Where it's like, oh, maybe we'll dabble there. Right. Like we haven't quite figured it out yet. Uh, we still need to like test and think and, and see. Uh, and yet the funds who have understood how to involve, invest in energy storage, they've got great returns and invested lots of capital in. Everyone else has looked slowly, uh, you know, getting behind. And we can't do that for the next few technologies. Right. For everything that is coming out of the venture space right now is becoming mature faster and there's an opportunity to those who figure it out more quickly to to take more to get more returns and make a lot of impact. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the Inflation Reduction Act. What are the concrete implications for investors looking to deploy capital in sustainable infrastructure? The legislation includes tax credits awarded to consumers for electric vehicles, alternative energy sources, but what does it do for investors? Yeah, so some major, major portions that are directly not to, less the retail, more on the consumer side, both the tax credits for the ITC and the PTC means that, um, you know, previously there was thought that maybe it would expire and now it's continuing and, and that's real dollars in, right? And maybe it's not as direct and still needs a lot of participants and tax equity providers, but it still means at the end of the day, to simplify, uh, you know, people who don't want to get into tax minutia, it just it means project, projects are cheaper, right? Um, because there is, is credit there. And that's going to make more projects investable, right? Previously, projects that may have been in the red are now more profitable and therefore can be invested in. Um, and so that is in general very exciting. That's going to crowd in more developers who, who want to be taking and re-examining what can be um, be profitable. And, and so all those projects will be moving relatively quickly. Um, it, it does mean that there's going to be a huge opportunity for tax equity providers. Uh, so that that in itself, I think, is, uh, is going to be uh, for someone to take opportunity for. In general, it felt like even 
while sunsetting, there wasn't the, the largest um, uh, pool of tax equity that was available, especially to sort of newer financiers. Uh, and, and now it's that's going to be even exasperated as a problem. And so uh, anyone who can help with that type of capital coming in or anyone who has that type of capital uh, will be in a great position. Um, separately, there's a smaller portion of it that, that we're really excited in of direct investment on the um, for blanking on the name of it, but effectively a national green accelerator. There's $27 billion set aside to help with uh, basically a large federal green bank, uh, either directly investing in projects or uh, investing in the local green banks to invest in projects. And the great thing around green banks is that green banks have a mandate to invest in uh, projects that may not have been easy to invest in as a traditional merchant bank. And then to prove to uh, commercial banks that it's possible or to recycle capital upwards. So now you have this, um, you know, in many ways, catalytic capital coming in. And what we see often is that there's a 10x return, right? For every billion dollars you put into one of these catalytic instruments, it means there's $10 billion that gets recycled upwards as you bundle it and go forwards. So that's also very exciting where we have people to take more aggressive risks structurally uh, while still trying to prove out that it will have good returns. Uh, that part is a direct invested in infrastructure and where at least I personally feel like there's a, a lot more, um, you know, it's easy to see higher returns, right? You've invested a dollar, you built a, some, a set of solar panels, right? Uh, that is uh, is very tangible and, and, you know, not really uh, easy to say, like, or easy to see whether or not it's greenwashing. Yeah, for sure. However, the conversation on profitability is still ongoing, and this aspect deters many investors from jumping in on the green bandwagon. What do you think about this? Can you give us more insights on the profitability of sustainable infrastructure projects? Yeah, definitely. In general, and just from a like, if you were to do one to one with traditional types of infrastructure. Uh, especially in the power and, and uh, space uh, and energy space, um, in, in general, often it is the cheapest type of, so the most profitable type of investment, right? If you're to look in a place and say, All right, should I invest in solar or in coal? What is going to make more money? It's going to be solar, right? Uh, and, and or wind, um, and increasingly now in in all geographies, right? And so, where maybe a decade ago. You know, in many geographies, it wasn't that, right? Um, it, it would have been more so natural gas. Increasingly now, it is just the more sensible investment to make, even without in, in incentives, without uh, tax credits, without an impact mission. It is just a more profitable investment to make in. Uh, and you see sort of banks and funds follow that, which is like, oh, right, even if you didn't care about impact and climate at all, you'll see funds transitioning over. For these newer spaces, right, let's say new technologies where it's like, oh, is it profitable? Do we understand how to invest in uh, small scale nuclear or new types of geothermal or these new types of uh, waste to value projects? Uh, the answer often is like if you can if you understand it better, understand the use the existing um, risk uh, mitigators, uh, it can be extremely profitable. And so obviously we're saying the bar is a little higher for um, the fund or the bank to um, underwrite and to manage, but that also means opportunity, right? Where the land grab is is a is a, is motion in many ways of who's uh, investing in and putting out more dollars, but also strategically where who is really leaning into spaces that have the largest gaps, right? In many ways, when we think of sustainable infrastructure, right, we think large offshore wind or uh, utility scale solar. 
Okay, equities are crowded sometimes, right? You have a great off-take agreement. Um, everything is is you know the highest level of of uh, rating and creditworthiness for the manufacturing for the warranties. You're going to see a lot of banks and funds like fighting for that, and and we still need capital there, right? So please, if you're a large bank and fund and need to write a five hundred million dollar check for a utility scale solar project, that's a great place to invest in. But it's definitely less more crowded than let's say you want to write a million dollar check in solar energy efficiency or a new technology, there's a lot of white space, uh, which means that there is, there's alpha to be had, right? For those who can figure it out. Indeed. And I do hope they figure it out because we need more examples like this to understand that it can be a win-win scenario. It doesn't have to be a compromise. And this will also help the industry mature away from all the greenwashing occurring in almost every corner of the market. Um, what is your take on this phenomenon, by the way? Yeah, so what, it's very real, I think, right? We uh, read a report, it's a little old, but it was like 70% of green bonds coming out of uh, certain geography. I think it was part of, some parts of APAC. We're like, they, someone did an analysis of it and, and they were all like, you know, it was negligible additive uh, additionality, right? It was like people would have invested in these new office chairs, whether you liked it or not because they were the cheapest. And the fact that they had more sustainable uh, manufacturing was just because in manufacturing in general is becoming more energy efficient, right? Or you have these, again, um, um, structured facilities that you know are green in the sense that they are not brown, right? Like, you know, you've removed uh, sort of uh, oil and gas companies from an index and now it is green, but it's not pushing forward investment, right? It's just divesting from it, uh, other areas. Um, and that is helpful many times, but also harder to track whether how much it's pushing things forwards, right? Like really, is that going to, is it going to make a big impact as a whole likely, uh, but it creates a lot of noise in between. Uh, and then finally, there's, I think, a problem. ESP is starting as a term is starting to um, get some bad PR, right? Because there is greenwashing, because people have used the term ESG and applied almost anything behind it, we now have like Elon Musk tweeting against it. We have two different states that are trying to, in the states here, trying to create legislation against allowing ESG measurements, uh, which is going to create some problems and we don't need to get into that. But that's that's to show that like there's a PR problem for the term overall because it's so amorphous in many ways. Um, and on the other end of things, though, if you just invest in sustainable infrastructure, it is very not amorphous, right? Like if I invested in some solar panels or some energy efficiency measures, right? I take I when I replace my HVAC system, I use the most uh, efficient new system in there. Is that going to make an impact? It's very clear, right? You can measure it in a live basis, right? Here was my load before. And now it's here, right? You know, if every month, every day, I can show that I am, um, you know, saving energy, you know, making a great investment, uh, making a high impact there. Um, and so that feels like, a, in many ways, low-hanging fruit. And, you know, if people are trying to create ESG strategies, why not make a sustainable infrastructure strategy? No one's going to accuse you of greenwashing. You're going to make a lot of capital. Um, and you're going to be able to measure it and show it to your stakeholders, uh, your retail customers, your LPs, um, you know, your, your partners. Exactly. And that's going to be the real switch. The real winners of the next decade and the next economy, if you will, are the sustainable players. At the moment, many companies, products, projects, funds, etc., 
They're falsely marketed as such, but I think these bad actors will get sifted through over time as more regulation enters the space and as the market matures. Yeah, yeah, maybe I put too. Uh, yeah, I put maybe a too too negative approach. Maybe I said there. I sometimes I was like, oh, standing on soapbox. But you know, in many ways, the regulatory action will help a lot. Standardization will help a lot. Many colleagues that are working in the green finance space on ESG startups are going to help with um, measuring and verifying that data. Like it, it will be better, and there's great innovation and very. Um, you know, there are many people in that space that are not trying to greenwash. And so it's not to say everyone's doing that. It is easier, I think, to cheat. It is, especially right now when it's just like a free-for-all and everybody's free to do whatever they want. Um, and understandably, they want to be able to have something to show because all of a sudden that's a new world that we're living in that's what consumers want that's what stakeholders are asking for um but in any case i'm happy that intention is there um and the need is there um so we broke the ice and that's the first step and now the market is going to mature i'm excited to see uh, where this market would grow to and to witness companies like yours trying to facilitate more capital into sustainable projects, which we will desperately need in the not-too-distant future. So thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us today on this podcast. It was super fun, and I hope to have you again soon. Yeah, um, likewise, thank you for inviting me. I think this... Uh... It's the not too distant future. It's the past, actually, right? We need a sustainable infrastructure yesterday. Um, and so we'll be excited to talk more about that. I think there's going to be a lot of movement in the next few months, quarters, years. Uh, so excited to keep at the, the edge of, you know, what's going on. To read the transcript of our conversation, head over to Tearsheet.co. If you want to know more about the intersection of finance and sustainability, you can subscribe to our free green finance newsletter in your inbox every other week to get more insights and research into this topic. That's also where I'll be featuring every new green finance podcast episode, so sign up to stay up to date with all of our content. Thank you for listening, and make sure you subscribe to the Green Finance Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks, so I'll see you at the next one.